You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And we're certainly glad to have you listening in. And we've got a guest that's been on many times. And uh, we, uh, Robert D'Agostino, our professor, is out today. But uh, we've got another professor in that uh, it's very uh, unusual, but they have the same last name, D'Agostino. We've got Joseph D'Agostino in. Actually, he's uh, Robert D'Agostino's son and I guess I never knew this before, uh, Joseph, but I guess law runs in the D'Agostino blood or something. Yes, well, it's often the case. Um, and so our, our having the same last name uh, is more than just coincidence. <laughs> so my father asked me to substitute in for him today, as I've done before, to just talk about uh, maybe news upon the political scene and, and the social scene and look at some of the trends, and and maybe some of his observations will be helpful to people. Well, I know that uh, the president has my friends in Texas very concerned. And, uh, you know, I've been looking at Texas like it's a a gas station with a pump that can't be shut off and pouring gas all over the place, and somebody's going to ignite that sucker one of these days. And uh, when I lived in Texas, I'm not sure how much of this we would have handled. But its uh, I think it's a time bomb waiting to go off. Do you mean this in the, in the sense of socially, that people are very angry? Or do you mean the sense of economically? Or, or how do you mean it? Well, <laughs> all of the above, you might say. Uh, it's... You know, you can say what you like, and and Texas and Mexico obviously are next-door neighbors, uh, but there's never been a real passionate fondness between the two countries, or between the two peoples, I should say. Uh, You know, uh, Mexico's always come in and taken jobs and and we've given them jobs because they would work a lot cheaper than uh, other labor would but at the same time there's never been a I guess there's never been a relationship with Mexico like we have more or less with Canada or have in the past Um, and you know as far as what's happening today I think the taxpayers are getting the short end of the stick. And Texas, as large as Texas is, they can't handle this many people coming in and and be expected to provide all the services and everything else. And it's going to come to... It's going to come to a head someday, and who knows where or who knows when, but... Uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a pretty situation when it happens. Well, if it does happen, I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't be pretty. Um, after all, in um, Tom Crackman's fairly well-known uh, book, A State of Disobedience, um, people start getting very angry and rebelling in Texas. That's where it starts, right? Okay. Uh, even though Crackman is not from Texas, that's where he set uh, you know his fictional story. His sort of <laughs> a lot of uh, elements are only thinly disguised as fictional. It's a fictional story, and things start off in uh, in Texas, 
And it may be a logical place to start off, giving Texas's history and, and culture. But um, we need to keep in mind, whether it's about Texas or many other states, that these states are very diverse now in many different ways. They're diverse demographically, racially, ethnically, religiously, and so on. It'd be good to remember that Ted Cruz won re-election over Beto O'Rourke by less than three points, right? He won his right. Senate re-election by less than three points over Beto O'Rourke, who is a clearly corrupt, uh, lying, airheaded fool, right? And I don't <laughs> think there's any doubt about that. So you consider what Texas used to be and what Texas is now. You know, there are a lot of changes in the past 20 years, well, right? You know, interestingly enough, you bring that up, and... Uh I don't know how many people remember this or knew this, but uh, or know it. Uh, you know, Texas was a democratic state many years ago. Right, just like the South generally was was very solidly democratic and conservative Democrat, you know, socially conservative, maybe what we would say today, somewhat economically progressive, but certainly very socially conservative and, and old fashioned, and and uh, obviously that you know things have completely changed, right and the vast majority of people who used to vote Democrat who have not passed away, of course, now vote Republican. Uh, but the fact is, there are a lot of people in Texas who vote Democrat, and, and the success or near success of Better Works campaign, despite his very obvious flaws as a candidate, um, really shows how much Texas has changed to a more liberal way. Not, you know, the partisan Republican versus Democrat is not nearly important as the actual political beliefs, right? So when people are willing to vote for um, in large numbers in a state like Texas, uh, for someone like Beryl O'Rourke, it really shows you just how many liberals are in Texas, how many liberal-leaning moderates are in Texas, and the stereotypes of these Texas cowboys and et cetera. You know, there are still some people like that, but there are a lot of people in big cities in Texas, like you know, Houston, Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, medium-sized cities such as Austin, who uh, you know vote uh, liberal. Uh, many of the Hispanics, particularly maybe newer immigrants, I think, uh, vote Democratic uh, because they feel the Democrats are trying to protect their interests, and even if they're socially conservative, they'll vote Democrat because they're, they're the racial angle, and they fear, you know, uh, some sort of you know, reaction against them that Republicans win too big or something like that. Um, so we have to, we cannot view Texas as some sort of incredibly, you know, conservative, old-fashioned, independence-minded state, when really Republicans don't have much of a majority there, and more importantly, conservatives don't have much of a majority there. And of course, with every day that passes, Texas, like most of America, becomes more liberal and, and more democratic, because that's what's happening with um, native-born people, of course, um, being educated in the current school system and university system and by Hollywood and so on and so forth, being educated to be liberal or socialist. And, of course, the immigrants who come in vote overwhelmingly liberal and Democrat, regardless of what their personal beliefs might be, um, the racial angle or the new immigrant angle is more important to them. And, and so uh, just as we've seen for decades with black conservatives, you know, lots of black people are very conservative, very, you know, dedicated to Christian principles, etc. But even most of those people will vote for liberal white Democratic candidates or liberal black Democratic candidates. And that's just sort of where we are politically. I think we need to keep that in mind. Whenever we're looking at uh, these states and thinking, you know, it's not the solid South anyway anymore, right? Most of these places, um, the, the time is long gone where Americans really lined up geographically in very clear lines. 
you know, even even more right-wing states, more solidly right-wing states than Texas, let's just say Idaho or Tennessee, now have quite a few liberals in It's not the way it used to be. No, it's not. And uh, unfortunately, I see it only getting worse. It's only getting worse, which is why I think that splitting a country up into several different countries is really the solution. Um, and I think this can be done legally and peacefully and constitutionally, not through secession, but through a legal and constitutional process where the states, with the federal government, negotiate hopefully a peaceable separation into different nations based on different ideologies, different religions, culture, political ideologies, and, and that's really the best way to, insofar as we can, make everybody happy as opposed to just one group sort of taking over, right? Well, the federal government has so much power now that even what states can do, even though they're, you know, already, of course, the states are already very diverse anyway, so even what the state government does angers almost half the population, right, a lot of the time. Um, but then the federal government, of course, has so much power, so much size, it gets bigger every passing moment. I mean, maybe they spend a trillion dollars a minute at this rate. I don't know what, how much they're spending now, um, but it's a lot. And, um, you know, it's a sort of a, you know, very often a winner-take-all system. And so uh, people cannot be happy with these radically different views. I mean, there, there are a lot of people in this country now who say they prefer socialism to capitalism. And I, I just think that's crazy, right? <laughs> I think that's ridic- completely ridiculous. And, I don't want to find out if they get their way. I, I don't want to see what happens because we know what will happen if we have real socialism. Oh, yeah. The same thing that always happens. You know, it's what you were saying about splitting the country into uh, different countries, if the states are any indication, a democratic country, as California or some of the others, will go down the tube. And the conservative countries will be asked to bail them out. And I think we'd thumb our nose at them at that point. Well, I think we should. I, you know, a lot of people say, and I've come around to this view, that you know, it's really time for people to get what they voted for. So you, you see, like, in these big cities, violent crime shooting way up and you know, economic problems. Well, the fact is, in New York City and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis, etc., the vast majority of people vote for liberal Democrats. And the result, of course, is economic decay, high crime, poorly functioning schools, etc. Well, I, I'm, I just think they deserve it, right? And I think they need to be left to have what they want, what they voted for, what they support socially, um, what they, you know, people who disagree get attacked, you know, that you're, you know, mean and nasty. Basically, uh, basically, whatever. basically let them uh, hang themselves with their own rope. Exactly. I think we need to to do that and and to just leave, right? I think we have to leave, right? I think this relationship is not uh, is not going uh, to improve, and uh, we need to break it up. Just and this is what this country was founded on, right? The founding fathers <laughs> founded this country on the idea that sometimes people need to separate from other people, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, not everyone agreed back then. People sometimes had this idea that the Americans revolted against the British, no. Some Americans revolted against the British. Other Americans sided with the British. And a lot of Americans didn't care much either way, right, and stayed out of it. Um, so, you know, we're going to have the same thing here. I do think the biggest obstacle to, to, to splitting up the country is the diversity that's spread all over because it will have to be population movement, you know, voluntary population movement where 
people who are conservative move out of blue states and move to red states. People who are liberal who live in red states you know, move to blue states. Or they can stay. People can stay where they, they want, but they're going to have to, you know, live under and accept the new regime, right, the new nation, the new governments of these places. So population movement is, is really something that, that needs to happen, and that is the one difficulty really standing in the way of splitting up the country. It does not divide geographically the way it used to. But really, we need a liberal America and a socialist America and a conservative America and what I like to call the American Christian nation, which would be based explicitly on Christianity and be run by Christian principles, and then be different from the conservative American states, which you know might want to go back to something like the 18th century constitution, uh, but they would be allies, I would, I would expect, um, and people can live according to the principles that they, they want to live by, and socialists can all starve to death if that's what they choose to do, <laughs> right? Liberals can scream racist at each other forever, or you know, whatever they choose to do, uh, and so on. And I think that's really where the country is headed, uh, if it's not headed for a totalitarian Marxist dictatorship, right? I mean, I think those are kind of, a, you know, I think we have three options, right? I think the first option that seems very clear that our ruling class wants is this totalitarian, worse than China style Marxist dictatorship, uh, rule from Washington and, uh, micromanaging everybody's lives, et cetera, et cetera. A second possibility is a military coup, which is sort of an, gets rid of this government and establishes, you know, someone like a, Franco-style government like in Spain or Pinochet in, in Chile, right? Uh, that kind of thing, sort of a center-right uh, reaction because they've just had enough, of, and that would only happen if enough of our ruling class wanted that. That, of course, has nothing to do with me. That would obviously be totally up to the military. I, I don't, I've never served in the military. And the third is the chaos and disorder and the crime, etc., and the economic problems become so great that people just decide to separate, and the ruling class can't control the whole country because so many people are just fed up. They're fed up with anti-white discrimination and racism. Uh, they're fed up with these ridiculous economic rules that are straining our economy, the, ridic- uh, the ridiculous COVID lockdowns and mass, etc., which obviously have failed to work and have decimated so many of our institutions and our, our economic prosperity, um, so on and uh, so on and so forth, right? Joseph, i got to interrupt so, for a break. We need to... Okay. Uh, we need to take a break right quick. So we'll be back with Joseph D'Agostino and Splitting the World right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And I want to do a live spot right quick and that... Uh 
the cat is out of the bag. And for all of you that are in Atlanta and know and remember Banks and Shane, well, we're glad to have them joining our family on America's Web Radio. Next Friday, we will be interviewing Banks and Shane on at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on America's Web Radio and talking about what they're doing today, what they're going to be doing tomorrow, and uh, just let you know that uh, we've got a great rapport with Banks and Shane, and it's going to be fun working with them. And um, we're going to have them on, like I said, on the business hours, as a matter of fact, 10 a.m. next Friday. And if you've got a question for Banks and Shane... Just drop us an email, gm at America's Web Radio, and I bet you Banks or Shane will answer your question next week. So with that being said, let's get back to Do Facts Matter and Joseph D'Agostino. It's all yours, Joseph. Okay. So, right, we're talking about the, the possibility of uh, breaking up the country. And who knows if it will happen? I think if things continue to get worse, it's a viable solution. Now, if things get better, you know, that would be wonderful. I I just don't see that happening. I don't see our ruling class reforming itself. I think they're going to continue to impose tyranny, continue to monopolize wealth for themselves, reduce freedom, and keep on working on eliminating small business, which they've done a lot to to do in the past year with the lockdowns. Uh, and the billionaires have made trillions, while most while most other people have lost money. Um, I think they're going to continue to promote to more and more insane uh, social engineering to demoralize people and break up people like uh, same-sex marriage and transgenderism, cultural Marxism, and you know, that racism against whites and to a lesser extent against Asians, and uh, bringing in uh, lots of immigrants who are not assimilating, who will compete for jobs, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't see them changing this. They may also launch yet more unnecessary wars overseas. There's a possibility of war in Syria, war against Iran, uh, war against Russia. Looks like there's another war between Russia and Ukraine gearing up as I speak. Um, maybe war with China. You know, who knows, right? Uh, but we know the ruling class loves war. Um, they make a lot of money from it, trillions of dollars, uh, past 20 years or so. Um, and uh, they get a lot more power out of it, and um, they accomplish certain other goals um, out of it. So... I don't see them reforming themselves. You see how they treated Trump, who actually made some very modest suggestions for improvement, really. <laughs> and that was too much for them, right? Uh, and even though Trump had a big mouth, he did not actually do anything radical. He was uh, very much within the mainstream conservative tradition and very much within mainstream politics. Otherwise, um, he did have a big mouth and, and it was just uh, too much, right? Uh, our election integrity is certainly open to question, which, of course, has uh, greatly decreased people's, um, half the American people's trust in the system, so on and so forth. So if things get better, that, that's just wonderful, but I, I don't expect that they will, as long as we have the current ruling class. And each day that passes, it's harder to win um, and dislodge that ruling class through voting, assuming voting ever meant anything, uh, ever, anyway. So one another thing to look at, um, as my father suggested that we talk about, that I talk about uh, books like Brave New World, 1984, and Animal Farm, like some of the dystopian books. And I think they're more useful than many people think. I think people do find them useful. But I think uh, people need to realize that not only were these books prescient because the authors understood what was coming, I think the authors actually 
knew and were in touch with members of the ruling class and had sort of understanding because they actually knew these people, right? So George Orwell was a British intelligence agent, for example, intelligence agent, right? He worked uh, for the British government in intelligence, and I think he knew and understood a lot about the sort of ruling class that, you know, the typical person does not, right? Uh, and so I think we can look at these dystopian novels, and there's been so many of them, right, over the past hundred years or so, and, and books, and not just books, but movies, television shows, just telling us over and over again kind of where things were headed. And I think it's partly because the authors sort of saw that, but also because I think the authors may have been either knowing people in the ruling class or people in the ruling class telling them to get this uh, information and this point of view out there to get people used to the idea, like get people used to the idea of a 1984 style state, get people used to the idea of a brave new world style state, uh, and uh, Blade Runner, the movie, that kind of thing. Get people used to this stuff so that when it happens, they're already sort of acclimated. It doesn't come out of the blue. So I think there's a lot going on here where these books and movies and TV shows have sort of prepared the ground uh, in people's minds, even if it's mostly sort of unconscious, um, to accept the tyranny and control changes that the ruling class is trying to make. And uh, one, one people, uh, people may be a little less familiar with Brave New World by Aldous Huxley than they are with Orwell's work, like 1984 Animal Farm. But Huxley sort of, uh, he imagined a world in which people were basically sheep-like, um, but uh, things were used to keep them docile and sort of superficially happy. You know, drugs, right, were used. Soma was the name of the drug typically used. A lot of sexual freedom, but that meant there was no attachments, you know, no, no families, right? In fact, mother was a dirty word in creating the world. All the children were created in you know, test tube type things and raised by uh, school teachers, right? Um, so you, you can see some of the parallels, not only to Orwell's work, but to Huxley's work, and other sort of predictive sort of books like The Servile State by Hilaire Belloc, the uh, Catholic historian, British despite the name, he was British um, and a Catholic historian. He talked in The Servile State, which I think was first published in 1912, that either we'll go back to property, like people actually owning property, again, like small businesses, or we're going to continue into slavery. And that's one of the key problems today is uh, people, unlike back in the day, during the American Revolution in the following decades, where people typically, if they were not slaves, right, um, people typically, men typically got to own their own means of production. Right? A man or a family owned his own workshop or his own farm or his own professional practice, that kind of thing. And that's, I think, what we need to get back to. We call that distributism today, distributing the, the ownership of the means of production among the people insofar as it's possible. You're not going to get 100%, obviously. Um, you do need some large corporations. But the fact that large corporations control so much of the money, and banks you know, hold so much of the debt that ordinary people owe as well as what governments owe, means the power is concentrated in places like New York City and Washington, globally, in places like London, and Beijing or Shanghai, etc., Frankfurt. And so that's a real problem, right? And I think that's the kind of thing that we have to get away from. So what's happening now that sort of, you know, at the moment that they're talking about this exception Orwellian is, of course, the vaccine passport. So they've been talking about this for a while. Um, many people predicted as soon as the COVID thing got off the ground that eventually they would introduce these vaccine passports. There are a lot of lies from the government and others saying, no, 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 that will never happen. Never do that. And now, of course, they're talking about doing it. And I'm quite sure they will do it. 
Uh, and Britain, the same thing. Oh, no, we're never going to do that. That's ridiculous. And now they're talking about this, right, so on and so forth, and many other places. And the vaccine passport is obviously uh, a way, you know, serves several purposes, but it's obviously a way to get people to start showing their papers, like in the old Soviet Union, right, uh, old communist China, uh, you know, um, Nazi Germany, etc. You can be stopped any time. You have to show your papers, right, show who you are, show that you're up to date, show that you're in the good graces of the government to be allowed to go anywhere, right, to allow to travel anywhere, enter anywhere. So this is obviously the first step. Uh, not really the first step, because after all, photo ID, driver's licenses, IDs are actually a step towards that, right? That we've been used to that for decades. But this is another big step towards the having to show your papers, right, to go anywhere, right? Vaccine passport to go into a grocery store, to go work in an office, to go board a plane flight, to go to maybe any restaurant or gym or go to a concert or a sporting event, right? Maybe to go anywhere indoors, maybe eventually to go anywhere outdoors. You know, who knows? But certainly to go to any public place indoors. Um, I'm sure that's their goal. And of course, once everyone is used to that and it's on everyone's phone or whatever it is that they, they have, <coughs> um, we'll start adding other things, maybe other health things, right? To see, well, did you take this other new vaccine? Did you, you know, when did you last go to your doctor? And then of course, they'll start putting on other things, like have you been convicted of a crime, right? The social credit score, like they use in China, China being the model for a lot of this stuff. As we know, China owns about half of our government anyway. So we have about maybe, you know, a year or so to see this develop, and I think that's what's going to happen. And they're going to put the social credit score like they, they do in China. You're restricted as to where you can go and what you can do and who you can talk to based on how the government feels about you ideologically. What if you post on social media? Who do you associate with? What groups are you a member of? And if they don't like these things, they take some points away from your social credit score and reduce your ability to do things, buy things, go places, etc. And that is obviously, I think, I mean, it's very obvious that the vaccine passport is meant to be a step towards that. First, you get people used to it. You use public health as your, you know, very sentimental. You use public health to protect everybody. You want to protect your old people. You want to do this and that. And get people used to the idea and then gradually add more and more things to it until it is like the China social credit score, social passport. And it doesn't all have to be done by the government because the government works hand in glove, big government, as it always has, works hand in glove with big banks and big corporations. The big corporations can implement it, and the government doesn't have to get involved directly, at least not yet, right? So they can say, oh, it's all being done by private corporations, right, private businesses. Sure, all the, all the airlines have been and you'll require you to show the passport. It's not us. It's not the government. Of course, behind the scenes, the government will be pressuring the airlines to do it. And they'll have to do it. Basically, if they want to stay in business or if they don't want to face legal liability, right, you always have these, you know, what is the negligent thing to do? At some point, something becomes industry standard, some sort of safety measure becomes an industry standard. And then if you don't follow it, you're now negligent. And anyone can be, and you can be sued if anyone claims to have been hurt by your negligence, like they contracted COVID on an airplane flight, right? All the other airlines, or almost all the other airlines, have this vaccine passport. You chose not to, to decide with freedom. It became the industry safety standard. You didn't follow it. Now you're exposed to legal liability in the courts if anyone claims to be injured by this, right? So everyone is forced to go along. Same thing with you know, big grocery stores, uh, store chains, and then the little grocery stores, right? The little grocery stores, someone claims to have been hurt, they contracted COVID at the store, 
maybe an employee of the store contracts, you know, it tests positive and the customer tests positive a week later and they claim they got it from the employee, right? You didn't have a vaccine passport, unlike the vast majority of uh, uh, grocery stores, and therefore you're not following the industry safety. Got a break, Joseph. You, yeah, and so you're negligent, right? So that's the way they can do it using private businesses and not government directly. Okay, on that, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be back with Joseph D'Agostino right after a couple of messages. Hello, my name is Colonel Retired Rick White, a United States Army veteran, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I would like to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. If you are a Georgia veteran, and the Georgia veterans' definition is you are either born in this state or you lived in the state 10 years or you raised your right hand and joined the military in the state of Georgia, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to your website at www.gmvhof.org or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. Nominations need to be in by the last Friday in August each year. Again, if you're a Georgia veteran or you're a friend or family member of the Georgia veteran, living or deceased, please consider nominating that veteran to this highly noble and rare Hall of Fame for our great state. Thank you so much. And want to follow up with... Uh Colonel Rick White by reminding everybody that this Friday or Saturday, I'm sorry, April the 3rd, tomorrow, is the induction ceremony of the 2020 class of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And it's going to be held at Johns Creek in Newtown Park at the Healing Wall. And, uh, you know, they had to postpone it and then had to move it because of the virus and stuff. So, yeah, everybody's invited to come out to Johns Creek, Newtown Park. The ceremony will be at 2 o'clock, and you're certainly invited. And uh, bring, as Colonel White will tell you, bring your own box of Kleenex. They don't supply that. But other than that, you might want to bring a, a folding chair as well because it will be crowded. So the other thing I want to remind you about is next Friday, Banks and Shane here at America's Web Radio. And for all of you Atlanta folks, you know Banks and Shane. In fact, they are known throughout the country. So with that being said, let's get back to Joseph D'Agostino and Do Facts Matter? And it's all yours, Joseph. Yes, so I was talking about the vaccine passport and uh, what it's uh, almost certainly going to be used for in the future. Um, this is something that China has pioneered, um, and uh, the Chinese influence over our society, the Chinese government influence over our society is very great. Given a lot of money, money to the Biden family, right, that's not controversial. Uh, Given a lot of money to the politicians, uh, universities, uh, in business with a lot of people. And, of course, our businesses, large businesses here in America, manufacture a lot of goods in China, import a lot of goods in China, also look to the Chinese market as a very large market, very you know, rapidly growing market. And so they want to accommodate the Chinese government for their own financial interests, right? And so that's where, you know, we are. And uh, so there's a lot of imitation uh, of China and a lot of that Chinese influence, right? And so I think that's where we're going. And, of course, I think that the vaccine passports in themselves are a very bad idea. Um, I don't think most people should take these experimental vaccines with entirely unknown long-term effects. Nobody knows, right? Nobody knows with any new medical treatment, but uh, these are made uh, with the mRNA technology that has never before been marketed 
all the previous attempts at mRNA uh, vaccines that failed because the side effects were so bad they never even brought them to market. This is the first time they've been brought to market through a very rushed process without the usual testing that, that uh, usually takes years, or always takes years, <laughs> always did before now, uh, and they just rushed them to market in a few months, and we've seen this you know, tremendously high side effect rates um, from these vaccines. Uh, we've seen um, that they may not be nearly as effective as initially claimed, although we're going to need some more data before making some decisions on that. And, of course, again, the, the long-term side effects are entirely unknown, but there are many suggestions that they could be severe. And the question is we don't know. So people not in a high-risk group, like elderly people um, and such, you know, I think it's a very bad idea for them to take this vaccine. Um, and the vaccine passport system will, of course, try to coerce people into taking the vaccine whether they need it or not. And so, again, this is a violation of, uh, you know, obviously, personal freedom, the violation of, uh, I think, common sense, the violation of any kind of scientific integrity, uh, so on and so forth. And so I think it's very bad in and of itself. I think it's something that people should resist. And, of course, it obviously will immediately enable the government to track people, where they're going, who they're associating with, what they're doing, uh, and uh, get people, you know, get people's health information that even easier to access, etc. So even before all these other bad effects happen, the vaccine passport is is a very kind of brave new world type of thing where the government is telling you what to do, telling you to take certain drugs or vaccines, right? telling you to take them even if they're experimental, uh, telling you you've got to demonstrate to everyone that you've done this, right? So it's a very um, big step towards the big brother mentality. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that most Americans are going to accept it. I, I, I think that conservatives have this uh, vision of America as this country of rugged individualists who take care of themselves and their families, believe in freedom, etc. I mean, it's just not true. Right? It's just it's just not true. And it hasn't been true for decades. And it's not going to be true again in the future, as far as you can predict, based on current trends. Most Americans, they want to be safe. They want to be coddled. They want the government to take care of them. Uh, they don't like to think. They don't like to make decisions for themselves, um, by and large. Um, they want to just be taken care of. They don't like to sense, right? There's a religion around COVID, right? There's you, you challenge and I've had this personal experience many times. You, you, you use very many prominent experts to say, well, look, there are many prominent experts who disagree with Fauci and these other people who are funded by the government. Some of these very prominent experts are at places like Oxford, Harvard, Stanford, you know, uh, very prominent people, Dr. Sinestra Gupta, Dr. Martin Koldorf, Dr. Jay Padacharya, Dr. Um, uh, Levitt, he had his first name, he's a Nobel Prize winner, he's also at Stanford. And so these people have been disagreeing about how to deal with COVID from the beginning, right? Because you bring this up to people, they become very angry, upset, maybe not even talk to anymore. Because they claim you're doubting science, even though you're citing some of the top, top experts in the world in, in virology or epidemiology. So it's a religion, uh, and uh, they're not going to change their, their religion. Most Americans are not going to change their religion. Uh, so I think you know we're really going to see a minority of Americans stand up against the vaccine passports. Um, and that is part of the brave new world, 1984, government control. And, of course, they always start with we will um, do this for your own good, right? 
You can see this in many other areas. So, you know, civil rights is a great example. So first it was to protect people on the basis of race. And you know, a lot of people, well, you know, that sounds good. You know, we have a history of government-enforced racism in this country. You know, that's good. And, you know, we've seen how that's morphed into, now you can't discriminate on the basis of sex, not even the military, right? You know, whether you're ordering your own schools or your own businesses, even if you want to, or religion, right? You've got to hire people. Maybe you religion is very hostile to your own. All the way now that you can't, uh, you're not allowed to discriminate. If, if you know, some mentally ill man thinks he's a woman, you can't discriminate against him, right? You have to let him teach your children, right, in the school. If he um, gets hired as a school teacher, et cetera, and you're a bigot if you oppose it, right? So you start off with a nice-sounding thing civil rights decades ago. It's about race and fighting racism and racial discrimination. And now we're all the way up to the point where you're not allowed to protect your children from open sodomites and, and transgender people and, and so on. Um, and where the military is now, you know, Biden talking about maternity flight suits in the military for pregnant women, right? Uh, so it's just getting nuttier and nuttier and crazier and crazier. And the COVID thing is definitely in the category of getting nuttier and nuttier and crazier and crazier and abrogating more and more people's freedoms, at least outside of, you know, a handful of relatively good states, more usually solidly red states like Georgia, uh, still at least uh, controlled by Republicans for now. And it will just keep getting more intrusive and nuttier and crazier, whether it's the civil rights laws, whether it's the military thing, now undergoing a political purge of the military now, right? Uh, the health fascism, right, where they use that as an excuse to control people and destroy small businesses and forbid you from going to church, etc. So people really need to take a stand for it, right? And I think we should remember uh, today, Good Friday, the day that uh, our Lord died for us, right? We need to remember that we're going to have to fight to preserve Christian culture and Christian principles and to preserve true liberty, you know, like the liberty to do the right thing, to follow God's will and to live a free life in the traditional Christian idea of it. Um, and we're going to have to fight for that, right? And we're going to have to maybe risk some kind of death, whether it's sort of a social death or you know, financial problems, etc., in order to do that, right, the way our Lord died for us, right? And it's very doable, right? Uh, Joseph, if I can interrupt for one second, Uh, you know, we talk about this with all of our veteran shows that we do, our military shows and uh, veteran shows, and, you know, I come back to our public education has let us down totally, and this deal of taking God out of schools or prayer out of schools and all of this, and... Quite frankly, I, I hit our all of our veterans that they are our textbooks today. We don't have public textbooks, history books that tell the truth. And if our kids and your grandkids and so forth and so on are going to get the truth, then grandfather and grandmother better get those kids up on their laps and start talking to them, start talking to them about why we have Easter, the real reason for Easter, the real reason for Christmas, and then talk about what you've done in the military and reinforce or put in fact what our textbooks are leaving out today. And uh, it's it's everybody's responsibility to do it or we're going to lose the country, like you say, Joseph. Right, and it's, it's far from impossible to do. You know, we still have tens of millions of Christians in this country, conservatives and conservative Christians in this country, and 
there are still large parts of this country geographically that are still very conservative uh, in uh, parts of the of Appalachia, parts of the Deep South, Mountain West, Alaska, um, uh, a lot of Texas and so on. So we still have that, but it's not going to last forever, right? So we have to do something to, to protect that. And I, I think that we need to understand, people need to understand that the institutions, the main ones, are lost. Most cannot be recovered. Some can, but most realistically can't, right? So I think baby boomers in particular uh, outsourced things to these institutions. They outsourced the raising of their children to schools and daycare. They outsourced um, <clears throat> news uh, gathering, etc., to the big corporations, ABC, CBS, CNN, etc. You know, there's a lot of, you know, outsourced these things to institutions I didn't really watch over just to trust them to do the right thing, but they didn't do the right thing. And now they've been taken over, right, by the left. Most of the churches have, schools, universities, Hollywood, etc. So um, we need to have our own institutions, and those areas in which we can, we should take back over the churches, take back over the schools, etc. Otherwise, we have to have our own. You know, we're just going to have to have our own schools, have our own entertainment, right? Have our own book publishers, have our own social media companies like Gab or Telegram, for example, um, instead of Twitter and Facebook, which censor all the time. So I think that's what we have to do and recognize that separation is really the answer. Eventually, it may be literal separation in different countries, but even if that doesn't happen, we're going to have to separate ourselves geographically, have to separate ourselves socially, separate ourselves technologically, because the left and the Democrats and the liberals are not allowing us to even speak <laughs> half the time, right? And they want to get that to 100% of the time. So we have to have our own platforms, our own institutions, our own areas of the country. Whether we separate or not, sort of politically, although I think we will have to one day, even if we don't, we're going to have to do that because the left continues to advance and they are not going to stop. They are never satisfied until they have a total communist state, right? There, you know, there's no compromise that can be made with them. There's no accommodation, right? Any compromise with them, any accommodation, any inch given is just a, they use it to launch a new attack, right? You just take that and then they launch a new attack. It's not like dealing with a family member or a friend with who you can have a serious disagreement. Maybe you can come to a reasonable compromise if you're both acting in good faith. These people are acting in good faith. And to do their credit, though, I mean, if you really read their stuff, they tell you what they want, which is communism, <laughs> right? Whether whatever they call it communism, they usually just call it socialism, right? But it's that's bad enough, but it really is communism, right? So they tell you what they want, they tell you where they're going, they tell you they want Marxism, and Marxism is and it's always been a system of control from the top, controlled by bankers and other people with money and the government working together to control everybody else, right? It's never been about this class of society, that's just the fictional part of Marxism, right? The real part of Marxism that Karl Marx himself was really going for was this totalitarianism, right? Joseph, so, uh, Joseph who do yeah, you, so you think's at the top? Who do you think at that? the top? Who do you think at the top? I mean, you know, I don't want to get too far out there with the audience, right, because, you know, they'll kind of stop listening. Uh, I don't so I want to get too far out there, but I do really think, you know, to put it in a very vague general sense, that there is a, a, a cabal of, of people who are you know, Satanists, or Luciferians might be a more accurate term, because Luciferians want to change the world and change man in a new way, right? 
and you see what the, the social engineering, the genetic engineering they're talking about, injecting people with things and the drugs. They want to change people into something different, right? This Luciferian thing. And keep in mind, Satanists don't necessarily believe in Satan. Right? There are two kinds of Satanists. One is who literally believe in Satan as a real being, which I believe he's a real being, right, as a Christian. He believes, they believe Satan is a real being and they follow Satan, right? Um, and then there are Satanists who are atheists. They just view Lucifer or Satan as an inspirational figure because he did whatever he wanted, right? He did his own will. He didn't obey God. He didn't obey morality. He didn't obey social convention. He just obeyed himself, right? Do whatever you want, right? And that always, to prove that, though, if you're a real Satanist, to prove that, you have to break the moral laws. That is, you have to murder people or molest children or something to prove that you've really broken free from conventional or Christian morality, right? So in these sort of groups, that's what they do, right, to demonstrate their freedom, right? Um, so I do think that at the top, there are these uh, sort of cult-like groups and, and people and mentalities um, who want to just radically transform the world and people into being something else. They, the, the ruling caste, will be free to do whatever they want, and everyone else will be slaves. And they use technology, they use money. You know, they've got a lot of control of the financial system and banks in particular, but also the corporations, the press, etc. And they want to uh, make their rule as, you know, permanent and long, you know, as permanent, hopefully, in their, their view, using the, the you know, technology that did not exist 100 years ago, right? Uh, and I think their goal is to lead us to this kind of satanic society, right, uh, in which, whether they call it that or not, in which people are sort of, the average person is sort of in a state of feeling like he does whatever he wants, but actually just does whatever the government tells him, which is your typical liberal, right? Your typical liberal is yip-gapping all about freedom of thought and freedom of speech and personal freedom, etc. But he hardly ever dissents from anything the government and the big corporate media are telling them, right? It's in a bizarre contradiction, right? They think they're fighting against the power by supporting BLM or supporting transgenderism or supporting the COVID restrictions, blah, 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 blah. But that's everything that the government and the big businesses are telling them to do, right? So they act like they're rebelling against the man, but they do every, believe and do everything the man tells them to, right? It's, it's insanity, right? It's completely insane. But somehow liberals think like this, right? And I think that's what they want the average person to do in a more and more and more extreme way, thinking that they're free, free from God, free from everything, but actually total slaves to the powers that be, while the powers that be kind of you know, live separately and just do whatever they feel like doing, monopolize all the power, all the money, experiment on people, molest children, mass murder people. I think there's a lot of uh, human sacrifice going on behind the scenes. Right? Maybe not so behind the scenes. Maybe that's what a lot of these wars and what abortion on demand are, are all, you know, really all about. Right? Yeah, the the child molestation is just incredible, and you know what's coming across the border and the child abuse, the the uh, making the twelve year old girl a sex slave, and everything else that's going on. This is not God's will being done. Yeah. No, and by and large, they, they usually even pretend to be following God's will. They're, they move further away from pretending that. So just this past week, I think it was, 
a, a child rap star, I mean, a rap star of four children, right? Little, little Nas X, I've never heard of before, but Little Nas X is a rap star whose, whose work is aimed at children, released a satanic video this week, and maybe it was last week. Um, and, you know, this is for children, right? And in, and in this video, he, he grinds on Satan, right? You don't know what that means, don't look it up, but if you do know what it means, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so that's what these people are into, leading children, you know, young people as well as adults into to Satanism, into hating God, into hating their parents, into hating America, to, you know, the various racial hatreds, they hate white people, hate Asian people, or, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, hate, hating the sexes, have, have women, uh, women hate men, and men hate women, hate the family, you know, uh, hate capitalism, hate this, hate that, right? And that's what it's all about. Right, and I think it's a very. I don't think it's just about money and power per se. I think it's about a satanic spiritual hatred and, and desire for destruction. Um, I really think it is. I, I believe literally satanic. I believe Satan is a literal, actual being. Right, but it's either literally satanic or it's metaphorically satanic. It's just about a bunch of very, I think, unhappy, miserable people who spend their lives. So trying to make other miserable, other people miserable. You know, misery loves company. That's a very good saying. Misery loves company. I think these people are just hateful and miserable. And so the Satan or these, these groups recruit them uh, into the deep state or into the Wall Street banks or into whatever. And um, they gain control of a lot of uh, institutions. Uh, because and why? What's the main reason? Because of the weakness of good people, the weakness of Christians who don't, who gave up fighting against them, you know, uh, centuries ago, really, and certainly since the 1960s, basically have done nothing except complain <laughs> about the left, complain about Satanists and atheists and socialists, right? You have to fight them in a way other than just complaining about them, other than just voting. You have to do what they do. You, they censor us, we have to censor them. They get us fired, we have to get them fired. They use the military to accomplish their purposes. We use the military to accomplish our purposes, right? They bring in immigrants to, to support the, their the businesses that fund them and to vote for them, right? We need to stop that. Right? We have to fight fire with fire, right? Mm -hmm. Insofar as it do doesn't contradict God's law and the Bible, right? And, and we don't do that. And the conservatives think we're just going to play on a fair playing ground and we're going to debate this and we're going to have discussions and arguments and win. These people are beyond, this, you know, even the typical liberal is beyond reason, right? beyond facts, beyond discussion. There's no point, right? There's absolutely no point to talking about politics with the typical liberal. And certainly not the typical progressive or socialist, etc. There's simply, it's a religion, you can't change it. You might as well change the mind of a radical Muslim, right? Or, hmm. or a fundamental Hindu. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the epitome of don't confuse me with facts, my mind's made up. Exactly. Um, and I think that uh, we just need to recognize it's some kind of, the Marxism is that it's some kind of satanic-inspired religion, um, and especially the cultural Marxism part. The high priests that liberals follow, you know, these professors and media figures and politicians, you know, and, um, you know, dislodging them from that is really, I think, just as hard as dislodging a radical Muslim from his beliefs or a fundamentalist Hindu their beliefs, you know, whatever, right? I think that's, you know, occasionally it happens, right? Occasionally someone, you know, sees that, you know, becomes an ex-Marxist, especially if they're young, you know, they might, you know, still be reachable, right? But but just, um, what, just what you're saying, Joseph, is, I was sitting here thinking about it, 
you're not going to see it on the national news because the national news is owned by them. And exactly. So you're not, and you can't have church services today. And uh, and what I I really object to is that a minister that you know back in the Civil War and back when the country was founded. We all, or I say we, I wasn't there, but uh, old enough to have been, but I wasn't. But everybody always looked to the minister as the leader, the preacher as the leader. And today, the preacher can't lead because he'll get his money shut off from the government. The government or from liberal foundations, right? Right. Corporations, um even a lot of parishioners now, of course, are very liberal. They'd be offended by anything really solid from the pulpit. And so one of the things we have to do is divorce uh, the church from the addiction to this you know, money from corporations, from government. They need to get their money from their people alone, right? Like back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. They need to get their money from contributions, right? From people alone, not these, you know, government grants to take care of poor people. These government grants to do, yeah, good work, right? The government gives churches and religious organizations schools, grants to do wonderful things, but he who pays the piper calls the tune, right? And so they get addicted to this money, and then they're afraid to do anything, because then they'll have to close their homeless shelters, they'll have to close their aid hospices, they'll have to you know, close their orphanages, and, and, you know, stop doing the good work that they're doing. But the fact is, proclaiming the gospel and standing up for the truth and standing up for true liberty, not the false freedom of modern Americans, right, to do whatever you want, but the real freedom in Christ to do what Christ wants you to do um, is more important than helping poor people, right, um, uh, with government money. So we need to recognize that, and we need to have, like a, you know, another way of putting this is, again, we need an independence movement, right, culturally, economically, and eventually politically, probably, we need a new independence movement. We have to declare independence from the ruling class, from the establishment, from the big government, from the big corporations, from the liberal foundations, from the public schools in most places, at least, you know, from the universities, from the liberal churches, and do our thing completely and wholly dedicated to Christ and to the truth and to freedom, true freedom, and not try to work with these other people anymore because... It's very clear. They've made their goals very clear. They're not going to deviate to only a small proportion or will ever be converted to goodness, right, politically speaking. I'm not saying you've got to dump your liberal friends and relatives. Not at all. You know, maintain good personal relationships with liberal friends and relatives, right? Maybe just don't talk to them about politics. Relate to them on another level. You know, talk to them about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, exercise outdoors, talking about literature, you know, talking about movies, you know, whatever, right? Um, relate to them on a different level, but... If, if conservatives think that rational argument and facts are going to win the day, they're sadly mistaken. That's just not how people work, especially is not how modern liberals work. I mean, we're dealing with people who, you know, a lot of them think socialism is a good idea. You know, they think a man can become a woman. You know, they, you know, they think somehow black people attacking Asians on the street is caused by white people, right? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just nutty. Right? And it just gets nutty. You know, they think lockdown, they still think lockdowns work to, to hmm. stop the spread of COVID and just, you know, prove conclusively that they don't. Um, and so on and so forth. So, and, you, know, the, you know, we're dealing with people who just think differently, you know, just completely differently. If they're really committed liberals, as opposed to, you know, 
tell me well, liberal doesn't really understand very much, right? You know, they're really committed liberals and just recognize that we're just sort of two different political animals and we, politically speaking, need to go our own ways. No question. No question. Very interesting uh, thoughts on on uh, potentialities, I guess you could say, of what may happen. Nobody has a uh, There's only one person that knows what's going to happen, and uh, it's not us. And we don't know when or where or what, but, you know, there is a plan for all of us. And uh, I think... My personal opinion is we're, there used to be a song during Vietnam on the brink of destruction. I don't know if you remember that or not. No, I don't think so. Yeah, there was a, oh, I can't remember who sang it, but, uh, you know, we're on the brink of destruction was the, was the title and the, what the whole thing was about, the whole song was about. You can look it up. Not lying to you. But anyway, I do want to thank you, Joseph, for being on today and taking your father's place. Actually, nobody can take your father's place. Uh, uh, he and I are very good friends, and uh, I certainly enjoy and appreciate his friendship. And I've enjoyed listening to you today as well as uh, in the past. And uh, I think you have a very good insight into tomorrow which a lot of folks don't have nor do a lot of folks appreciate what we're going through right now as a country and it's well, terrible keep in mind, if the early Christians can survive and thrive with all they face so can we Amen I hope you have a super Easter and uh, that you and your you all continue to be healthy and we look forward to the the next time that uh, you're on America's Web Radio. Yeah, happy Easter, everyone. You're a, you're a delight to uh, be with. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.